Thank you for tuning in to the Maximum Advisor podcast. If you're a growth-minded financial advisor looking to grow and scale your practice, you're in the right place. Your host, Chip Munn, brings tips and best practices based on his experiences and has guests from financial advisors to industry experts sharing wisdom with one another because we're better together. And now, Chip Munn. Welcome back to Maximum Advisor. Today I am here with Barry Dedge. Barry is the Chief Operating Officer at uh, my practice, Signature Wealth Strategies. And uh, Barry was kind enough. He's been on a previous episode and we're excited to have him back. Uh, Last time he talked about vision. And today, Barry, we're going to jump into really one of uh, my favorite topics, right? It is the idea of Practice finances. You know, I, I think it was it uh, was it Biggie that said "Mo money, mo problems." Mo, mo, mo money, more problems. <laughs> you know, I, I think that we'd and, all uh, like to try that. We'd like to try that problem out. Uh, and so it, it's a yeah. I, I feel like this is a great topic for us to dive into a little bit and talk about because we're in the money business. But I, I know that for me, when we left a. a W-2 model, a broker-dealer model, and came over to the independent space, one of the biggest kind of eye-opening things was I ran my own P&L before, but it was a lot different doing it out on our own as an independent practice. I would agree. And I'll say thanks for thanks for having me back, Chip. It was uh, great talking to you last time about vision. And this is also something that, that I'm also very passionate about. I'll say you're absolutely right. So I've worked in structures before where I I was in corporate headquarters of broker dealers where advisors were W-2 modeled advisors. And and while, yes, of course, you're going to be concerned with your P&L and concerned with what your profits look like out of your office, you're not really necessarily worried about the deep dive details associated with that. So you're not necessarily worried about how's the rent getting paid and, and how are we going to make payroll this week and all of that sort of taken care of for you back at what you know what we referred to as the home office or the corporate headquarters when you start to work in an independent 1099 type of a relationship with a firm whether it be in at true independence on the RIA side or a hybrid model which is what signature is right now with Draymond James those are things that you have to be concerned with from the very beginning and make certain that you have a very very regimented process in place for managing budgets managing P&Ls forecasting revenue knowing knowing what that's going to be because at the end of the day let's be honest you're on the hook for that For sure. And I have a friend who owns a business and he was running for public office at one time. And his big thing was being a jobs creator. And and one of his sayings was there's a big difference between signing the front of a check and signing the back of a check. And, you know, that move to independence gave me a a completely different view. Managing the P&L was one thing. Signing the front of a check is a whole lot different because I'm sure a a lot of our advisors uh, are considering or or have already kind of taken that leap towards independence. But in in the regional or the wirehouse world, when you're managing a P&L, one of the benefits you have, at least it was my experience, every now and then you could run in the negative. And if your profits were negative, you you were part of a bigger organization, it was okay. Now, in the, in the independence phase, if you run a negative or if you run it for very long, you have to put money in the bank, not take money out of the bank. 
You're absolutely right. And and in the uh, in the traditional broker dealer W two model, it's okay to go negative. And we saw advisors go negative at times in the past. And the firm is there to back that. So you kind of have a, a big brother or a corporate structure there backing you. Right now, you are that structure. You are the one there that's backing payroll to your employees, backing the the overhead for all of your offices, and making sure let's just call it keeping the lights on type of a thing. So I would say that uh, practice finances are extremely important overall, but even more important whenever you're looking at running a business in a 1099 independent type of a model. When I was in that previous life, they used to have an area of the P&L they called below the line. I'm not sure if every firm has it, but they called it below the line. Below the line now as an independent is called my personal checking account for me and my partners. And so it's a, it's a big difference when it's your money. It's called who's going to write the check to get the bills paid this month. Yes, sir. Again, we make light of it, but you know the, the fact is it's a big deal when you are beginning the process or, or even you know now with some, some water under the bridge, it's always something that you have to make sure of because m- most of us have a lease. You've got employee expenses, or I would argue employee investments, but you've got those things and those things are going to go out whether re- there's enough revenue or not. And so one of the things that is important in, in my mind is is really digging into managing and, and watching your numbers. Mo- most financial advisors got into the business, or at least I did, I, I've said before, is a sales job. And you want to help people and help them manage kind of their financial future. But there's a big difference between that and really doing some of the practice stuff that honestly feels a lot more like accounting than it does financial advice. I also think, Chip, it's important in a W-2 model, you're more worried about the P&L. And I would say um, in an independent model, while the P&L is important, obviously, uh, tracking to budgets is also, I would say, as important and really forecasting what that's going to look like. A P&L can show you what your profit and loss is and show you what your income and expenses are and where you're sitting for today. But really putting together a formal firm budget and knowing what can and can't be spent over the course of a year, I think is, is extremely important to get to those true numbers and then holding everyone accountable to to adhere to those budgets. So if I could make one recommendation for firms on the independent side, it would be put a true budgeting process in place where you sit down as an organization and a leadership team together and you come up with what you expect to spend and what you expect to invest in over the course of that year and then hold yourselves accountable to that overall budget. In my experience, the word budget is a lot like the word diet. You know, pe- people don't don't take real kindly to that. Yeah, I prefer, could we say, spending plan? I guess ultimately it, it doesn't matter what we call it. We're in the investment business, return on investment. And I mentioned earlier about our team members being investments and not costs. But for any advisor who, who's spent any time in the business, our practice, our business, our great one of our greatest assets. And so, you know, I, I think that for me, one of the reasons that it's incredibly important to pay attention to these numbers is because ultimately over time we want to build value that's substantial and, and to make sure that we're minding the store of what in a lot of cases is our biggest, whether it's a retirement asset or something that uh, we plan on passing on to a family member. When we talked about vision, we talked about having a vision. Sometimes it is is personal in addition to business. And 
you know, when you view it as, as an asset like that, above and beyond just getting a paycheck, it, it really is something that gives a new importance to why paying attention to your finances is important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'll say another thing is I often think about is don't be afraid to invest in the business. So while we're talking about putting structure around your finances, monitoring P&Ls and putting a, a spending overview, if you don't want to call it budgets or something like a budget in place for your firm, you have to also know that you, you, you're you going to have to invest as well. And I've seen firms in the past be so afraid of investing that they limited their growth. And, and I just don't think in this business that you can do that. You have to have a well thought out plan for what you're going to invest in, what you're going to spend. And while we're talking about finances, I also say, don't be afraid to spend on certain things that are right and are going to have a, a good ROI for, for the growth of your organization. And that's, that's a good point because our audience, uh, I mean, we're a community of growth-minded advisors. And, and I think that it is easy sometimes to want to be mindful of how the profits are going to work and how much cash is going to be in the bank. In, in the bank. My granddad told me one time, my papa said, money problems are the worst kinds of problems. And I tell that to clients all the time. But it's also true in our business. But we can't, again, as, as a group of growth-minded advisors, the last thing we want to do is to constrain our growth because we're not willing to invest. One of the things that I've found is that a one way to find money that is available for investment is really repurposing, paying attention to the numbers in a way that you really go through and eliminate waste. That you find money, you can find money for growth by eliminating things that really weren't weren't moving the needle anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that goes back to um, some conversations that we had in the last podcast. It's just is know, knowing who you are. And I'll say in addition to that, knowing what you're going to invest in and don't waste. We are particularly in an opportunity where we have the ability to leverage some technology offerings from our partners. And, you know, in, in situations like that, you really should be evaluating, yes, let, let's see what we can do to get the best benefit out of this and not investing in other types of technology solutions, just as one example, so that you can redeploy that to somewhere else that's going to support stronger growth. And I think that firms that are successful really have a, uh, a true process in place to, to look at and make decisions about where they're spending while also not being afraid to spend on the right things. For sure. There's a big difference between spending money, investing money, and wasting money. And, and I think ultimately, uh, again, we're in the investment business and, and we want as part of our practices, as a part of our companies, to make sure that we're, we're keeping up with and investing in things that are moving the needle, that, that are making a difference. And having a process, like you say, puts us in a position of making sure that we're eliminating the things that aren't working, honestly, so that we can put more money into the things that are. I, I've heard more advisors than I can count when they talk about something that they did, whether it, back in the day it was seminars or now maybe it's digital ads, and, and we do it until it works. And as soon as it works, it's just not, we just quit. I think a big part of that is not paying attention to the numbers or having any metrics to know this is working. I mean, in a lot of businesses, maybe for some of our advisors who kind of fall into that uh, that that far right corner of our advisor scorecard where they really have this this area together, a lot of businesses you can figure out for every dollar you invest how many dollars 
you're going to get out. I don't know about you, but Barry, if I could put a dollar into a, a vending machine and it spit $2 out, I don't know how fast I could shovel them in. I'd be doing it all day long. <laughs> and and so for us, the only way that we can know that is to pay attention. So for the average advisor, of course, all, all of our listeners are above average, but when you think about managing the money of the practice, you know, when you think about uh, handling that process above and beyond kind of the, the big mistake of of not having a budget or not really focusing on it at all. What are some of the other areas where you've seen practices struggle? I've just in the past seen practices struggle with with where to spend. And I think that goes back to having a clear path for who you are and what you want to be and what you need to invest in to support getting you there. And and I think, you know, sometimes if you're thinking about like education seminars or you're thinking about other things that need to be invested in, recruiting opportunities, it's really having a clear idea of exactly where that money needs to be deployed that's going to be the most beneficial ROI to you as a firm. I've been in a couple of um, major executive level positions with large corporations in my career. And I'll tell you that in one particular job that I was in, we had a, a process down that was so regimented that if we didn't spend every single penny that was budgeted, we also had to answer to why. Because th the way it was looked at in that organization was if you budgeted for it and you asked for it, then it clearly tied into what the, the, the growth was and what the return was for those investments for that year. And if you didn't do, if you didn't do it, then you, know, you, you had to discuss why. Now, sometimes, obviously, there are reasons why you didn't. But it was, it was to that level of detail how transparent we were with each other about the whole process and about what the spend was and about what the growth was for, for the organization. And that's a big difference. Uh, being intentional like that and, and having a culture that values that kind of investment is, I, I want to be clear, is a big difference between kind of the use it or lose it. You know, you're not talking about kind of the government or what we maybe we believe that some of the government spending processes are, right? No, absolutely not, Chip. This was more of a, there was a very methodical process in place to get to the numbers that you were going to spend, let's just say for that fiscal year. And every dollar that was spent was attached to a goal or a KPI. And if you didn't spend it, then it was a, well, why didn't you? Because if you didn't, did that get done? Or, or did we grow the way we thought we were going to? Or did we build the services that we thought we were going to be able to build to to recruit more advisors or to better serve our clients? Or it wasn't a use it or lose it thing at all. It was more of a, let's have a conversation about what happened, what went right, what went wrong, what was the spend, did we spend, did we not spend. It's set up for a very, very healthy relationship between senior management teams and department managers and just the overall process of what the investment was and the spend for the firm overall. One of the things when I look at our finances, you know, obviously uh, one of the biggest, uh, I guess if, if you count kind of partners compensation and senior advisors, the biggest expense is in the area of employees or as we call them, team members. What are some of the areas where a practice might be able to improve? Are, are there certain positions that are better to be you know, structured from a 1099 or W-2 standpoint? What are some of the areas where, uh, again, looking at, I tend to look at the biggest numbers first. Team expenses or investments are, are the biggest area on pretty much any budget. What are some of the areas where we may be able to make some small changes there to to make improvements? 
Certainly. And, and I'll start by saying before I even go into this, and it's a very good question and it will lead to a great conversation. Your people are your best asset. And that just goes back to the culture of the organization and making sure that that senior management team and leaders realize that and, and treat your people with that level of respect. Compensation, you know, everybody has to have a paycheck and compensation is what it is. But Honestly, for an employee morale and satisfaction, it's not everything. And I'll talk about a few things I think people can do that, that helps with that employee satisfaction that's not another dollar in their pocket. I think that roles need to be clearly defined and they ne- there needs to be target compensation ranges for those roles based upon the, the role, based upon the person's experience and, and you know wh- where they fit in the firm, as well as compensation around the, the geographies that they're in. So being fair and equitable your, to your employees is paramount. I also think that having some sort of a, if there's a bonus structure in the organization, having target bonuses with achievements that can be met to get to those target bonuses is important as well. I've been in positions in the past where I knew that X percentage of my salary was going to be my bonus if I met X goals and they were tied to the firm. They were also tied to performance. I wasn't going to give that money up. So I knew that exactly what needed to be ha- to happen to get to that point, I, I was going to make happen. So I think it also it puts more of a commitment on the people to deliver knowing that they're going to have a a reward in the end or knowing what they have to do to get to that next level, whether it be pay increases or or bonuses. With that being said, I also think it goes a very long way to do some, you know, some things that aren't necessarily monetary in value, like a, a casual work environment on Fridays or the ability to dress down on Fridays bringing in lunch every once in a while to the office and, and having collaboration sessions with, with people, doing things outside of the office, maybe quarterly, getting a team building event together where you take people out to, to spend time outside of the office. I think little things like that can, can go a very long way. I can tell you from experience that being in more of a casual type of an environment from an employee dress goes a very long way, even if you only implement it on, let's just say, a, a Friday or, or one day of a week type of a thing. It goes a very long way with people. And I, I think, Chip, we probably can say that in, in our organization, we've seen that be very well received. It's amazing, frankly, that, that one of the things that we did that's a non-financial benefit is on Wednesdays at four o'clock, we turn the phones over at four after the market closes, and we have a yoga instructor, which is funny. Uh, the, the vision of me doing yoga is not something that most people would want, but bringing in a yoga instructor and, you know, we have one of those, uh, I guess, the, the, conference room tables that you can take apart and and we take it apart and move it out and have a yoga instructor come in and you can tell we do it every wednesday at four o'clock you can tell on wednesdays especially when we first started on most days the energy of the office kind of of wanes you know in the late afternoon you can tell on wednesdays that the energy level not only stays sustained at a higher level it actually elevates because people, you know, our folks, though it's optional and not everybody participates, you can tell the the mood's just different. And so that is uh, definitely, yeah, it, it has been for us. And it's a nominal investment to have somebody come in and do that. But for the, the benefits that, that I feel like we've gotten, that's an area where, again, it, it's, I consider it an investment. Uh, if I'm being honest, I did it because it makes sure that I work out at least once a week, but it is <laughs> real talk. It has turned out to be something that, that again, our folks really enjoy. And for 
it, you know, the nominal amount it, it costs, they love it. And, and so it, I, I really think that we get more out of it for sure than, than it costs. So I, I think that's a great, great point. And I'll also say, Chip, the day that, you know, the day that I was in the office in, in Florence and we let everyone know they could do a dark den on Friday, it, just, the, just the conversation that it sparked and the way that people reacted being able to do that, it just went a very long way. You know, like I said, I just think there's things that you can do that are non-monetary that build employee satisfaction and build employee morale. And I, ha- I can also say I've experienced the Yoga Wednesdays, so I, I, I appreciate that and like it also. Well, it's, it's a lot of fun and it's something different. And we've done some other things like that. Not only does it help build culture, but again, I, I think that if you can do small things like that, whether it's bring in lunch or, or a yoga instructor, or I've, I've heard of advisors who've brought in a masseuse. Uh, a chair massage for their staff every now and then. I just think, uh, again, we're this is a much more interesting side of practice finances, frankly, than than budgets. But it really is taking that side of of making investments and and also honestly, I think kind of the point you were to circle back that you were originally trying to make is money's not everything. Not only for our clients in some cases, but it's not it's not everything for our team. And by investing small amounts, you can get an awful lot of benefit that, you know, show up in a different line item, you know, on your budget or your P&L. Yeah, I, ser- I certainly agree with that. And, and you're right, money is not everything. But I will say that uh, having led people for the majority of my career, people appreciate knowing where, where they fall in the ranges for their compensation and how they achieve targets to get to certain bonuses and things like that. So where it works for, for people and, and our audience to be able to put things like that into practice inside of their businesses goes a very long way whenever you're talking about em- employee satisfaction and, and keeping people happy. And like I said, people are your best people are your best asset, so you want to keep them happy. No doubt. Well, it's uh so when we talk about expenses and again, I'm I don't have our our P&L in front of me, but when I think about our budget, uh, mentally I I try to it's not an Excel spreadsheet, so I can't just sort the column but if it's not number two, way up there, three or four on the list of the biggest part of our expenses behind people is space. What's been your experience on, in full disclosure to our audience, you work virtually. So you're in Philly, I'm in Florence, South Carolina. What's been your experience in, in not only in, in our practices, but also in your previous lives? What's been your experience with, with real estate costs? That'll lead into a, an interesting conversation about around virtual people and virtual employment and virtual relationships overall. But yeah, real estate cost is, is obviously very high. In past executive level positions, where we've been able to and to cut down on, on real estate cost, we have allowed people to work in a virtual environment if the job if the job fit that type of a model. Now, if you're a client serving person and you're going to be sitting at the front of an of an office for clients to walk in, that's a little bit more difficult. But, you know, if you let's just take me, for example, in the role that I am in, it, it works well virtually. There has to be quite a bit of discipline that comes along with that, though, as well, because you're not reporting or walking into an office every day. 
you can cut back on real estate costs where necessary by allowing people to work in a more of a virtual environment. There's ways that you can share people across offices if you have more than office, more than one office using technology, using video conferencing opportunities that really would cut down on having to have physical office space for people that don't necessarily need to walk into a brick and mortar every day. While I think it's very important to have that brick and mortar presence, especially for the client facing people who need to be there. Not all roles need to be sitting in those seats. And I think it, it's it'll go a long way for people and firms to take a look at that and, and decide, you know, can certain things be handled in more of a virtual setting? No doubt. And, and when I'm meeting with clients, one of the things when it comes to budgeting or how they're, they're spending money, one of the things I always suggest is they take a look at their recurring expenses. So one of the areas where you've really uh, been of help uh, to me is in going through the way that we spent some of our money. And you mentioned, and this kind of goes into not only the financial part, but also the idea of being able to use technology to save on space costs. But one of the things that you did for us was go through and look at our regular expenses. And a big one was uh, technology and phones and those kinds of things. And by, by actually going through and reviewing those, we ended up getting a better system and saving money, which I, I think a lot of people can relate to. But it, it's a practice of routinely going in with or without the benefit of, of consulting uh, is incredibly important to go through and, and really check on where that money's being spent. Because it's a lot like your personal credit card. I mean, any more memberships. And yeah, I went through personally one time and, and found three gym memberships. I had three gym memberships on the same credit card. And, I mean, it's embarrassing to say, but it's true that you can sign up for things and we can do that for a as a business as well. And so I think that you know, my experience has been going through and paying attention and checking on those things to make sure you're still using them is also a good way to kind of keep some of the, the excess cost down. And I, I, and so since you canceled those three gym memberships, you we were able to afford to bring in yoga Wednesdays. So it was significantly cheaper <laughs> to, do, to do. And I work out once a week more doing yoga Wednesdays than I did with three gym memberships. So and you did with your gym. <laughs> yeah. And I, it's a, Kind kind of a funny thing there, but I will, you know, you're you're absolutely right, Chip. And one of the things we looked at, and, and one of the things that we're in the process of doing, not to again, not to make this about signature, but it it is, you know, like like this having a better a better phone system across all of our entire firm and all of our offices. And really, once it's implemented, the savings that you're going to reap every every month is significant. And you know, when you're looking at ways to cut expenses to redeploy that somewhere else. That's one of the things where we're going to have a, a good, a fair amount of, of ability to redeploy while also having a better service in place. Well, and I would, I would use this opportunity to mention to our listeners, uh, if you haven't, Barry and I both have a, the Facebook portal. And so if you're anti-Facebook, totally understand they've had their, their hiccups. But that's also another piece of technology that we, we've tested out for the ability to have one-on-one -on -one conversations kind of desk to desk. It reminds me, uh, again, dating myself of the old squawk box. I think it's something like 150 or 200 bucks per set, but then there, there are no monthly costs after that. And I know that Amazon and some other companies have those same types of products. And so it is, you know, there are a lot of ways to, to skin the cat on that. Barry, one of the things that, yeah, if I'm, 
looking back on my experience, one, one of the areas where I have found myself struggling from time to time, and I'm curious if, if others have, is what I would call spending money on image and not business uh, is the notion that if I, whether it's a, a participate in a particular event or if I donate to a particular cause, and again, charitable giving is great, but it, if I, I'm really thinking about it more from a standpoint of doing it for the purposes of kind of the CNBC kind of thing, in your experiences, I think they or do other people deal with that? Is that the kind of thing that advisors need to be be mindful of? They do, and I think it is something that you be you need to be mindful of. And I would say do it where you're going to get the most benefit. Um, let's be honest: in the communities that we're in, there are going to be some things that it's just going to be good for you to invest in, for you to attend, and for people to see you there. Whether it be current clients or the potential to pick up new relationships, and, and that's just the business that we're in. So I, I do think that investing and investing wisely in those types of activities is very important and something that should be included as a part of an overall budget and, and process for, for where you're going to spend that. And most of the time that falls under sort of either recruiting or, or a marketing type of a budget, which you should already be spending about four to five percent percent of your revenue zone per year anyway in, in the in those particular budgets. What would you say, Barry, is the is the best and I'm going I, I'm gonna tell you I know my answer, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you mine too, but it what what is what's the best investment in your opinion that an advisor can make to improve their business in general? Uh, overall, I th- I think investing in in the right people because, like I've said, and I've said it a number of times, and I firmly believe it that people are your best asset, and investing in the right way to to market your business so that potential advisors that you want to do relationships with and clients that that you want to do have a relationship with are targeted and have a fair amount of opportunity to know about who you are. Okay, well I'm going to I'm going to give you a close second on that. I believe that and of course I'm I'm kidding, but I believe that the best investment at least in for me uh and for kind of all of our advisors, I work with a lot of younger advisors and I tell them that the best investment, frankly, that they can make is in themselves. You know, I've benefited a lot from consulting, but if you're an advisor who's just getting started, read a book, man. I, it's, it's a, I just think that it, it's a lot like the airlines. I mean, I believe that our, our teams and our people are, are definitely our greatest asset. But as a leader, if you're leading a, a firm or a practice, it's important. It's a lot like being on the airplane where they say, you know, Please put on your mask before assisting other 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 passengers. You know, other passengers. If you're going to you know, be responsible for managing a team and expecting them to grow and, and really trying to drive revenue growth and change in your practice, you got to invest in yourself. Whether it's a, a coach, whether it's additional education, though I would personally caution folks from getting too caught up in, in, you know, I think there are a lot of times when it seems like getting more education in our field, we can kind of get hung up on that unnecessarily or, or more than we should. But investing in yourself, whether it's in, in coaching, consulting, or, or, or even just listening like uh, our listeners are now to a podcast or reading a book, investing time and money in yourself, I think, is, is really the 
the area where you can make the greatest difference in your practice. How'd I do? I, I would have to attend to, uh, to, I'd have to tend to agree with you on that as well. So we can add that to our group of, of three or lump it in with the overall people, including yourself. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's a good compromise, Barry. You're good at that. So I, I appreciate that uh, about you. So, Barry, as we kind of come to an end and, and wrap up here, you, you know the question I'm going to ask. We're an action-oriented podcast. It's important to us that we can leave every episode with something that our listeners can go out and do right now and improve their practice, take one step in the right direction and improve in their practice. So what would you say as it pertains to practice finances, what's the the one thing that our listeners could do today to take that that first step in in the next uh you know right direction? I would say um I'd say analyze analyze your spend and know what you're spending on and don't be afraid to put a process in place and hold yourself accountable for what you're spending on and invest it wisely. If you're a single person, do it with yourself. If, you, if you're a larger organization where you have a management team, I think it's important for you to sit down and have those types of conversations and be very transparent about it and know where the investments are being made. So again, uh, an- analyze and spend wisely and spend in areas where it's going to benefit you from an ROI standpoint. Thank you. That's a great tip. And from my standpoint, I think that our listeners have already taken one step by taking the time to listen today. You, you've shared a lot of great stuff with us. And thank you. I, I really appreciate it. I, I learned a lot. Thanks, Chip. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. And, you know, if I could close with a quote from the great philosopher, Big Worm, from the movie Friday, messing with my money is like messing with my emotions. <laughs> and so, you know, for all of our listeners today, I hope that uh, you have had an opportunity to learn a few things that will help you keep your emotions and your money in check. We'll be back at you again real soon. See you then. <laughs>